Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Yes, the Bible is about the propagation of God's seed. Unfortunately, ignorant of biblical Hebrew, Christians of all kinds fall into the trap of Neoplatonism, mishearing Genesis and Galatians by saying, oh, well, then it's not really about making babies, it's about making disciples. No, definitely not. You are not an eternal God. You cannot make anything. Moreover, Jesus warns, when you make disciples, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You are flesh and blood creatures born of a mother. You have no choice in the matter, and that is the genius of the Bible. As commanded by Elohim in Genesis, you must multiply sexually like any other mammal. In every generation, you will die and fall like any prince. Cain desperately tried, but you cannot get around this through your foolish dynasties dedicating your children to cities and monuments. It is the words of Elohim, his seed, not your silly eternity projects that stand forever. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. The people are indeed grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 23 to 38. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 489 of the Bible as Literature podcast. One of the interesting observations that Father Paul makes about male kingship in the Old Testament is that the king's in Scripture, in as much as they try to promulgate dynasty with the construction of buildings, 
which is what the first Enoch represents in the Toledot of Cain. Inasmuch as the kings tried to maintain this facade of propagating dynasty with the construction of buildings, they require women so that they can have children. So the illusion of dynasty, the illusion of civilization, is that one way or another, it cannot work without the underlying biological mechanism as intended by God. There's no way, no matter what Cain does, no matter how hard he strives, he cannot make a baby without a woman. And this is the way scripture mocks the hubris of patriarchy. That's the story of the Old Testament. It's the story of Luke. Because you have this split that takes place. And it didn't occur to me, Rich, until you made the observation last week that while the Matthaean genealogy, which is called a genealogy, it is referred to in Matthew as the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It describes each generation by saying so-and-so begat so-and-so, whereas in Luke, there is a break that takes place. There's no mention of women in the Toledot of Elohim. The discussion of women takes place in the first two chapters where the command of God, there is a line in the first two chapters where God is the only father and his commandment moves from fleshly womb to fleshly womb. And that is where the conception of Jesus Christ takes place, born of a woman, born under the law of God in the fleshly womb of his mother as a human being, as a Ben Adam. And then, before we hear about the Toledot of Elohim, who is the only father, the only king, the only judge, the only teacher, we hear him adopt this human being, Jesus, as his son. And that's the only time we hear the word son in the whole story. Well, we hear it twice. We hear God say, this is my son. And then we hear Luke say, this is not the son of Joseph. There's a strong contrast between the Toledot of the men you have in chapter 3 and the Toledot of the women you have in 1 and 2. Like you said, Father, in chapters 1 and 2, it's very beautiful because there are these moments where God gets involved in the conception of the Son, and then there are these beautiful speeches where the mothers and the prophets, Zechariah and Simeon, declare allegiance and obedience to God, where God functions as the Father in each one of these. In chapter 3, it gets complicated because God is every generation offering an opportunity to the men to declare obedience to him. 
Remember so many times, Mattathias, Matatha, the gift. But what happens? Each one of those men wants to create their own Toledot and their own dynasty. So we have the mothers who are declaring their obedience to God. And remember, we talked about Mary dedicating Jesus at the temple and how the word of God, the word of Moses, it kept repeating itself. But here, it's just one man is of the last man. Father Paul talks about how this scripture is anti-macho, and that's exactly what's happening, is the anti-macho. Because it's the women who are centered in their obedience, in giving birth to children of God, who then have the opportunity to be obedient to this teaching, but instead they just generation after generation do their own thing and do what biology commands them to do, which is to have another baby of their own flesh, create the next generation of their own flesh, to create a dynasty of their own flesh. And that's why we have this beautiful contrast that you brought up, Father. This is my son, the one who was supposed to be the son of Joseph. This contrast forces us to see the role of the women and the role of the men, the role of the wombs and the role of the begetter, which, as you said, Father, is not mentioned in Luke. To beget, this is not a thing like it is in Matthew. It always goes back to God, and God kept giving opportunities to human beings, but a man of every generation fouled it up by trying to create his own Toledot, not accepting the gift of God through obedience to him in the ways that Elizabeth and Mary showed their obedience to him. So this contrast we can see between chapter 3 and chapters 1 and 2, it's when God is in control of the women's wombs and when the men are in control of the women's wombs, and the women who remain obedient and the men who do not want to be obedient. And like I said, the line ends with Joseph. Whatever king you had before, you're going to get another one of them again. No matter what revolution you have, the next are going to be the people you need to create a revolt against, because every generation of kings is going to be doing the same thing with a different ideology, which is the same thing again. God is the proprietor. God is the proprietor. This is the point. Each of these characters from generation to generation, from age to age, received this gift, and one way or another, they fall under the boot of a king, or they themselves fall into the trap of imagining that it belongs to them. How many times have we heard on Father Paul's podcast how those who would translate the Bible, the biblical scholars themselves, fall into the trap of imagining that the characters in the story are the possessors of the land. The way that they translate Hebrew, they fall into the trap of imagining that the characters possess something. Nothing belongs to anyone. God is the proprietor. That includes the proprietor of the children. He's the one who is the possessor of the dynasty. 
every single character, every single child in the line belongs to God, which is what is expressed in this beautiful tradition, in principle, not in practice. But in principle, when you bring your child to the synagogue to celebrate the bar mitzvah, you are celebrating the adoption of your son as a child of scripture, a child of the commandment. You are saying, this is not my child. This child, the son of my womb, is now a son of the commandment. That is what Luke is saying. Everybody here belongs to the commandment, not to their patrilineal heritage. It is the abolition of tribe. You still live with your tribe, but under the ordinance of the voice of the shepherd. And under this ordinance, which is what Reu represents under the double Canaan, under this voice, you cohabitate with the other nations in the wilderness. That's it. You don't try to figure out who is a this and who is a that, which is the game that is played when you start insisting, this is my father, this is your father. No way. We all have one father and we all come from this shared womb which belongs to him. We're all from the same earth, the earth of the promise in scripture. We all dwell in Canaan. It's a powerful, powerful text. I love this doubling of Canaan in the end, Rich. It's funny, every time you hear scripture, you always realize all of scripture is always a mini scripture, whichever text you find yourself dwelling in. It's very powerful, this idea of the bar mitzvah, the son of the commandment, because this idea of sonship, we have it in Proverbs as well, where sometimes it's difficult to understand, is this father and son, is it biological or is it teacher and student? And this comes from the Ketubim. So these are the teachings. This is kind of a more general wisdom that is universal. You are the son of the teaching that you follow. In Hosea, this becomes a problem because the question is, whose children are you? Well, you can tell which commandment are you following. Are you following the commandment of that man or this man? Because whoever's teaching you're following is your father. This is so important to read in a literary way. I mean, people take stuff out of context, but you really have to read the flow of chapter three in Luke to get it, because it is about Herod and John, and then it's about Jesus's baptism. Well, that's strange, because if John was in prison, then how could Jesus be baptized by him. Well, it's a foreshadowing or a flashback or something like this. Why would they put in this leap forward to Herod before going back to the storyline to where Jesus is being baptized? That doesn't make sense. The reason why they do it is not to talk about John. It's to talk about Herod, because Herod is the inheritor of the kingdom. He is the king. He is the one who follows the fleshly dynasty, and the fleshly dynasty is the one that ends all the progress that God had made up to that point. 
the word had moved from womb to womb until finally it rested in John and John was born. And then what happened? The human king decided to put him in prison where it couldn't bother anybody anymore. And so you've got Herod. So you've wondered why I've been enforcing this contrast between Herod and Jesus as the Son of God. This is why, because when you read Luke literarily, you're forced into this. Because it's weird to put this flash forward and then come back to the storyline. That's weird. The order that it goes in is important. We talked about the book ending of God declaring this his son and God being the beginning of all dynasties. This order that we find things in is essential to understanding this. Last week, Rich, you mentioned Galatians, and I want to come back to it because you were talking about the flesh versus the spirit. And I know that people mishear what we're saying because the tendency with the influence of Neoplatonism, contemporary Christianity, I don't care what church you're a part of, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, if you're an American Christian, you're a Neoplatonist, meaning you spiritualize everything, you eliminate accountability, and then you do and say whatever you want, whether we're talking about everyday life or theology, which means that like the kings of old in the Old Testament, you imagine that you can have children without a woman. And that's exactly where our society is. But here is what Paul is saying in Galatians. When he talks about the flesh and the spirit, he's talking about your trust in the things made by the hand of man, meaning your civilization and your theology, which defends your civilization, versus the words of God, which come only from the mouth of God. That is what is spiritual. So listen to what Paul is saying, which is what Luke is teaching by bifurcating the human dynasty from the creation of life in the womb of your mother. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That is precisely what Luke is proclaiming. The Jesus who was born of a woman like everybody else is the son of God because he's not part of the line of Cain. He's not part of the line of Joseph. He's a human being, but he is definitely a son of the commandment. He's not yours, David. He's not yours, Joseph. He doesn't belong to any of you. He is purely obedient to the Torah. It's breathtaking. Jesus is born in order to redeem those, in order to bring those out, because it needs to show that it's the sons of the women who are redeemable. The problem is the man wants to put his trust in his own sperm, his own seed. 
That's why Paul has to spend so much effort to talk about the seed, because it has to be God's seed. And that's why Mark is all focused on the sower of the seed, because human beings want to put their trust in their seed, in their labor to raise their fruit. And that's not how it works. And it's beautiful how Father Paul reminds us that this is the anti-macho text because it's born of a woman. The ones who are faithful, who are following the commandment, are not the men here. It's the mothers. Elizabeth and Mary are the stars so far, and God is the one who is the overarching star. I guess that would make Mary and Elizabeth the co-stars or the supporting cast. But Zacharias, he had to shut him up before anything could happen. Joseph, he removed from the picture. Simeon just said the nice words that God put in his mouth. That's what men have done up to this point, except for Herod, who put John in prison. Look how so far the men are being treated. And then look at what happens with this long genealogy from God to God. And you'll see that men and their sperm come to nothing. Now, Rich, the temptation, once again, for people hearing this podcast, is to imagine, oh, I get it. These are the bad guys, so we shouldn't be like them. No! La ilaha illallah. There is no reference but the reference which is our heavenly king. That is what Luke is saying. This text, which bookends every single character from Genesis to Revelation, including the Lord Jesus Christ, whom Matthew presents to you as the last of the prophets sent to complete the work of the prophet Jonah, which is the final task of the biblical text to evangelize all the nations, which is a work that began in the Old Testament. Every single character is under the aegis of Elohim. That is what Luke is saying in the Toledot of Elohim. Yes, he is emasculating all of the patriarchs, but scripture as a story is emasculating us. It is against us. Rich and I were just having this conversation this morning. I was having the discussion last night with my wife. You cannot disempower or dethrone the king unless you are disempowered and dethroned. That is scripture. That is why your political ideologies will never work. Each time you come forward to criticize someone else, if you yourself are not brought down, you are lifting yourself up. That is why no one can repeat, no one can ever repeat what the Pauline school did in the Roman Empire, with all due respect. It's impossible. No matter how clever you think you are on the left or how clever you think you are on the right, 
You all sound the same to me. You are glorifying yourself. And the louder you scream, the bigger you make yourself. It's a big sham. None of it will ever succeed unless you understand that you are one of these characters in the Lucan genealogy, the Toledot of Elohim. You are one of these sheep who all fall short of the one sheep who was led to the slaughter for our sake. That is why scripture is unbeatable, unmatched. God is our king in the heavens before the ages. He is untouchable. And that is a teaching worth giving everything to. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.